I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and my guest this week is Ben Renshaw. Ben is a leadership expert specializing in purpose-led cultures. He's the author of eight books, so that's pretty prolific, including a book called Lead, another book, Super Coach, and the book that I'm holding in my hands right now, which is called Purpose, The Extraordinary Benefits of Focusing on What Matters Most. And Ben's also worked with companies such as Heinz, BT, Unilever, and Sainsbury's, just to name a few. He's a keynote speaker, he's a coach, and also a classically trained musician, as I've discovered when I read the book. So, Ben, welcome to the show. Leanne, thank you very much. Great to be together. Yeah, it is. And thank you for your time. Let's start then with that last piece, you know, because obviously what you do now, the first part of the introduction was very much what you do now. But you're a classically trained violinist, I believe, originally. (laughs) Originally, yes, many years ago. So, in fact, I grew up at a little school nestled in a rolling countryside of of Surrey. Mm -hmm called the Yehudi Menuhin School. And in fact, my father was my headmaster. So (laughs) he ran the school. I grew up there from the age of 8 to 18. And it was an amazing environment. We had uh, children from all over the world. There there were only 47 children at the school. So you kind of grew up as a family, really. So we performed at a very high level, had an amazing experience. However, as I really reached the end of my time there, I realized that the music profession was not for me. And then I took a gap year, which you tend not to do as a musician because you just keep practicing. And I realized there's more to life than playing the violin. And when I landed up at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama to attend a four-year performance course, I realized within two weeks this was not for me. But then it really threw up that question of, well, what do I want to do? What's from my real love and my passion? And that started, really kick-started my exploration that took me into purpose. Right. I mean, I think that's such a common story. I mean, often not music, but people start off in a vocation that they believe. Maybe there's been some gentle coercion from parents or they just always thought they would become a certain thing or do a certain thing. And then you have a little bit of maturity and life goes on and the reality sets in as to what you've chosen. And you think, actually, this isn't it. This isn't my purpose. And that's obviously the case for you. And I guess that's informed quite a lot of your work. But is this a reasonable definition of purpose? I'm taking this from the introduction to your book by you. Purpose is the catalyst for personal meaning. Purpose is the glue that binds teams together. Purpose is the inspiration that enables organizations to outperform. Is that a fair definition? Yeah, look, I mean, in my experience of working with purpose, there is no one single definition that I think you can put your hat on. Mm. However, I do think there are some themes that absolutely are consistent and run throughout. And meaning is one of those. I I mentioned this in the book, the work of uh, an Austrian psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl who's had a huge impact on my work. And so he was a survivor of the Holocaust. He went through seven camps, including Auschwitz, and survived, and wrote a seminal work called Man's Search for Meaning. (laughs) And because of his training, he was actually able to retain a level of objectivity whilst in the camps and could literally, literally would see when people chose to live or die. 
smoke their last cigarette, give up, or keep looking for a way through. And he went on to say that, you know, every last human right and dignity could be taken away from mankind except, as he described, as our last ultimate freedom, which is our ability to choose our response in any given situation to choose our own way. My experience is everybody has their own personal philosophy in life, but I do think it's absolutely fundamental and it's within our gift to assign meaning to what happens for us. And, you know, in the world that we're in at the moment, you know, the level of disruption, uncertainty, unpredictabilities, unknowns, from an individual perspective, you know, meaning is fundamental. Mm. Yeah, and I was going to talk to you actually about the context of this now, because purpose in the context of leadership, but more broadly as well, is now very popular. And do you think that's a, a reaction to the very uncertain and crazy times that we live in? Yeah, look, I think there are many drivers behind it. I mean, I do find it quite amusing. I started working consciously with Purpose about 15 years ago and because I was asked by an organization who is actually a hospitality company, Intercontinental Hotels Group, who were the largest hotel company in the world at the time, and they'd shifted their whole strategy. They went asset light. They sold off all the hotels. So essentially, they went from numbers to service, and then they put their guests at the heart of the business created a core purpose, great hotels, guest lovers, an organization, but the proposition, what does that mean for our leaders? So I've been around this for a while, and I think today the backdrop, as I just mentioned, in terms of the level of uncertainty, but I think as well, you know, consumption, consumerism, this incredible kind of drive and mantra for more, everybody, you know, just wanting more, thinking their happiness, and their success is going to lie in, you know, whether it's more status, more money, more accumulation of things, and it just isn't. And then again, I think in the digital age, and what's very interesting, working at the moment with one global organization, we're putting a lot of attention on connectivity, and how do you really connect in today's age, and this absolute split between technology and many of the benefits, but the the price we pay, and then relationship. And I think at the heart of relationship, the people, the need for people to have a sense of belonging, as a result of that, again, I think purpose plays into that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, wasn't it, within corporates? A lot of the things you've mentioned there, I think, you know, meaning. I think a lot of people have lost a sense of meaning in their work. They may be feeling disempowered and alone. The hyperconnectivity of devices actually means that we are less connected in some ways than we ever were. Yeah. Certainly more in demand, being pulled in different directions. There are a number of companies that are really trying to, to tap into purpose. And that purpose is not financially driven. It's a broader purpose. For example, the purpose of my business. Yes, it's a commercial business, but our purpose is, is to help people extend their health span by personalizing their health, fitness, and well-being. So we believe that everybody could add five or more years to their health span, not lifespan, by paying attention to the way they move, the way they, the way they exercise, the way they eat, the way they sleep, and so on. Are there any companies doing it really well out there that are really connecting with their purpose, really having meaning in their work, and as a result, having better employee engagement and retention? Look, it's hard for me to speak exactly so broadly about organizations, but if I take a company where I'm spending a lot of time, which is Heathrow, so this is the airport, which I know is obviously controversial in terms of airplanes and potential expansion and growth. However, 
as an organization, you know, they measure themselves through great place to work. And, you know, one of the key factors around that, I mean, you you mentioned there in terms of your own company and purpose and what you do and well-being, my well-being is a fundamental, you know, need and driver for engagement. Hmm. And I think there is a real linkage between having a clear sense of purpose and well-being. And I started a program for them about five years ago uh, called Leading with Purpose and Values. They went through an exercise as an organization to redefine their DNA and they came up with making every journey better and they really dug into the values of the organization. And now that experience, that program is actually reaching all six and a half thousand colleagues, but they've also built into their supplier charters. So in terms of who they partner and work with, it's very, very values and purpose-based. And I've seen a massive shift in terms of impact for colleagues and In fact, some people, because we really get them heavily involved actually in the facilitation of the program, the shaping it, and the cultural journey the organization has been on, and they are now kind of really seeking to go after that kind of one star and whatever it is and great place to work, best companies. Mm. And that's really coming through. I mean, it's it's a journey. I think the critical thing as an organization, you know, is the consistency and the commitment to it. There's nothing, nothing worse. I mean, and I yeah, really advise any organization or team as well in particular that if you are exploring purpose, don't do anything with it unless you are genuinely going to commit because actually it yeah. can do more damage, you know, if you come out with yet. Yeah, the last thing anybody needs is another cor- corporate slogan. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. There's got to have teeth of real meaning. Yep. One of the values when we work with corporate partners on a, on a related but not the same kind of engagement is we ask people to match intention with investment. Mm. So, you know, that's, that's just one part. I mean, you can still invest and then not really commit. But you know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there? And then there's a few companies that are really sort of showing their teeth and in investing mm. Time and sweat, and, and of course, money into it. When you discovered your true purpose, which one hopes is what you're doing now, what difference did it make to your well being? Well, I was on the search for purpose probably for about 20 years. So, and I, and I share this with people in terms of management of expectation that they think, oh, I'm going to attend a two day program and I'll have you know, discovered my purpose. And now, Without a doubt, you can gain a lot of traction and go a long way to having a lot more awareness of purpose. But in terms of, I think, a real depth of inquiry and then the living and breathing of it and really understanding what it means. So for me, I mean, the way that I articulate and describe my purpose and every, you know, very, very personal. So what can mean a lot to me can mean nothing to somebody else and that's okay <laughs> so i actually describe my purpose is to be an enabler of truth to enable truth but what i have real resonance is about truth i don't define what's true for me it's always about being the catalyst for others to help them discover what is real true and meaningful for them so look, as a dad, I've you know got three children. My daughter turns seventeen at the weekend, and my two boys are twelve and nine. 
of course, I've got a point of view about how I would like them to live and turn out, and but I absolutely know in my heart of hearts the the most important thing, and what would mean more to me than anything, is at the end of the day they turn around and say, "Dad, thank you for helping me discover who I am and live my life," and mm-hmm. that that for me would be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in my work as a coach and in my leadership programs and. All my work, and I feel very, very fortunate that it's all about helping others discover what's true and right for them. And that will then show up in terms of careers, promotions, taking teams on journeys to deliver big projects. It just shows up everywhere. And then even more personally, you know, as a son. So, for example, my mother, unfortunately, passed away from cancer a couple of years ago. Her last dying wish was to die at home. That was very inconvenient because <laughs> she was on her own. And, you know, I was her primary carer. And I did absolutely everything to make that happen. And, again, that was just consistent with my own purpose. So. <laughs> It really does come through in every area. And I think what it allows, for me, the way I like to visualize it as a North Star, it's kind of beacon that pulls me in a direction and actually really supports my well-being resilience when I'm tested. Mm. Yeah, I, I love all that. And one of the most satisfying things that I do at the moment is some volunteering work I do for a charity called Diversity Role Models. Um, we go into schools and deliver workshops to counter homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying. My personal purpose if you like is to live truthfully considerably and suck all the marrow out of life to quote Thoreau and part of that living truthfully and considerately is doing work that gives back to others and tries to further courses I'm passionate about the living considerately very much plays in my endeavors to try and be consume less plastic consume less stuff generally be more mindful about how I'm spending money and using the resources of the planet but I tell you it feels really good when you start connecting with that stuff it feels really good and I feel my life is significantly enhanced by doing those things. There's things for others and there's this more considerate way of living. And that's definitely plays into personal purpose. And of course, links with my values. And I suppose the two are mutually inclusive, you know, purpose and values. I love it. No, look, it's great to hear. And I think, again, when somebody has the level of clarity as yourself, you know, then in terms of making the linkages and then really realizing the benefits of that, you know, they just come through. Uh And for me, purpose, when you're really on purpose, you know, there's an effortless quality about it. It's not that you have to really try hard. It may take a huge amount of effort to get there, but I think when you have that level of awareness, you are then more likely to experience, you know, a state of flow and things happening and things are very connected and linked up. And that congruence, I think, is very rewarding. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's talk about something you've just mentioned, which is resilience. You state in the book there are three key characteristics at the core of resilience, which is bounceability, flexibility, and stickability. Hmm. Talk to us a bit more about those. Yeah, I guess my experience with resilience, I think it's one of those areas where organizations are asking so much of their employees that it's almost superhuman. Well, it is superhuman stuff, it's not really doable. You know, everybody being asked to do more with less, faster, with constant uncertainty. And and therefore, you know, with that as a backdrop, I think you've really got to develop an ability to stick it out. 
And so with resilience, I kind of use that in a way as a way in for people to really begin to explore, you know, when are they at their best and what do they really need to be at their best over time? I think all of us, you know, may have greater awareness and ability to kind of tap into being at our best for a moment, (laughs) but I think it's very challenging on a consistent basis. So with a coaching approach, what I do is help people really think through where do they get their resilience from. Now, that could be things like absolutely their their health, their exercise, nutrition, sleep. It could be physical factors. It could be emotional factors of happiness and joy and serenity. It could be relational factors in terms of time with friends and family and being really connected. It could be spiritual factors around having a sense of vision and possibility and inspiration and intellectual factors as well around learning and development and growth and stimulation. And so people need to find out for themselves and then really reflect where are they today, where they'd like to be, what's the gap. And usually they'll find one or two things that they really want to focus on that will support their resilience. I think in terms of knowing when you're resilient, that ability to bounce back. Again, I referenced what happened with my mother. That for me was a good example of during that time, I was so stretched, you know, pushed me right to the edge (laughs) and it took me a while to recover, but I kind of knew when I'd recovered that I almost bounced back higher than where I'd been before I'd had that experience. So for me, bounceability is, you know, we have great capacity for adversity as human beings and it never ceases to amaze me but i think when we can learn and grow with that and actually come back stronger and better that for me is a real mark of that resilience in action Mm. yeah is it something you think is shaped by a childhood experience to a point or is it something that we can learn can we learn to be more resilient yeah, look, I think the whole nature-nurture debate, I mean, I'm a believer of both. So for me, it's always both ends. So absolutely, I think that some people will be born with a propensity, you know, for greater resilience than others. But for me, it's absolutely developable. And, you know, I think it only of myself as an example of I'm far more resilient today than I was even a year ago, three years ago, five years, ten years ago, certainly you know, from when I was younger. And I think for me, it's all part of growing up and maturity. And as long as you can really grow through experiences in life and also all the mistakes that we make as well, we do come out stronger and better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Let's talk a bit about energy. Do you find, I think you've alluded to this in the book, that there's an energy crisis within organizations now and within individuals as well, obviously, who comprise the organization. Yeah, look, my, most places I go when you ask people how they are, they'll say what, some version of knackered. And I remember there was a nutritionist, Patrick Holford, who a few mm. years ago described man as a knackered ape. And <laughs> uh, I think, you know, we run on a lot of adrenaline. It's a low-grade fuel. It's not great. And yet energy is fundamental ingredient for our existence so what i have noticed in my work with purpose is there's a very strong linkage that when you are on purpose it energizes so you can draw a huge amount of energy and sustenance from your own sense of purpose and therefore by keeping yourself on purpose that's a great impact is on energy having said that 
I also make energy a real learning curve and encourage people to reflect upon where do they get their energy from, what de-energizes them. Mm. And actually by making that a learning curve, you can definitely, definitely every day you can move in the direction of a higher, higher energy. How do you help people with both their purpose and their energy levels? When work is just a function for them, you know, they're not entirely brought into the purpose of the organization. You know, it's something they do in the evening that really lights them up. How do you help them sort of wrestle with that? Because work is obviously what we spend most of our time doing. Yeah. So I'll give you a good example. I was coaching a guy who actually headed up sales and acquisitions for an organization, and he was not happy. And his behavior displayed it. He was very aggressive and had received some uh, pretty damaging feedback and he was under a huge amount of pressure married with a young family his marriage was on the line family on the line his health was on the line he was a chain smoker he just couldn't quit there was a lot going on mm. and so where we rather than quit you know quit your job quit this quit that we started by looking at purpose and after some time he really landed in that his purpose was to do with freedom and just being free and you know using that as a bit of a measure just kind of asking him like on a one to ten scale what is your experience of that I mean he was kind of minus <laughs> <laughs> so I remember then asking him I'm a huge believer in just incremental steps just one thing if there was one thing you could do to kind of move you in that direction what would it be and I remember him saying just playing one song just one piece of his own music on his drive into work because usually even by seven in the morning the conference calls were you know were jammed and so he's literally no time no space for himself so this five minutes of your own music and that's where we started and then from that we then kind of really created a framework for himself where he got to explore, well, what would freedom look like in every area of his life and work? And so he began to be able to actually define what would that mean at home and starting to date his wife again and time with the kids and then at work, actually working with people in a collaborative way rather than just beating them up or getting beaten up. And and over time, and I, I used to stress over time, there's no, for me, there's no magical you know, quick fix on this. But I remember 18 months later, and, you know, he'd had health warnings from his doctor, health warnings from his wife, health warnings from the organization. If he didn't change, they were going to change him. Mm. And his vision, I remember his vision for freedom was being a surfer. So that's what he loved to do and in Cornwall. So that was his vision. And 18 months later, he delivered on his targets at work and his reward was actually time in Cornwall, surfing with his family, and it was a very different experience for him. So I'm a great believer that before you make external changes, you need to address what's going on internally. And I really get that, you know, for many people, they sharpen a role, but they leave themselves behind. And so before you change your job, just change your approach. And once you get in touch with purpose, and you really then actually hold that up as a bit of a lens to look at your role. I would really challenge you, really challenge that there'd be nothing in there 
nothing there that you could connect with purpose. So most people, I mean, I know in the future we may just be working with robots, but for now, you know, there are people around. And actually, when you look at human motivation, deepest need is to have a sense of value, to be recognized. Well, every day you've got the opportunity to value someone else, to recognize them. So even if you were to just start at a very simple level like that and then begin to broaden it, that's where you want to start. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think a lot of people listening will really resonate with the example you've just given. I know a lot of people I've talked to feel that way. Yeah. Start there and then who knows? You know, I coached a lawyer, an amazing guy. He was running a global law firm and did a little, but he was done with law. He couldn't practice law anymore. And yet there he was making a fortune. He could do it in his sleep, but he couldn't do it. Again, it took us a couple of years. His purpose was to be the best version of himself. It took a couple of years for him. He created his own decision-making framework to help him, guide him. What would it mean? What would it look like? Where does he really want to go? And then through a whole series of coincidences, he landed up creating you know, his own company. But that was a process he went through. And then the first step was to really understand what it meant to look like for him upon which he could then take next steps. Yeah. I think it's important to emphasize this stuff, as you have done a couple of times, it takes time. Oh, yeah. For many of us, it's taken a long time, a number of years to build up some negative habits. So to try and unpick those is obviously going to take a long time. Equally, getting reconnected with your purpose and then finding a structure that allows you to connect with it and still allows you to meet some of your financial obligations and various other things. That also takes time. And I think what takes a particular amount of time is for somebody to let go of the belief that they would always be a lawyer or that they were going to run a company. For me, I always grew up thinking I was going to run a large organization, and I cut that off at age 42, so one year ago, realizing I don't want to do that. Yeah. I necessarily want a board of directors breathing down my neck or shareholders or the staffing issues you get when you start to build teams of multiple people. Actually, what I want to run is a lifestyle business, but I never thought I thought it would be a performance business. To hell with it, and I cut off that belief, and I'm much happier as a result. I start to emulate and follow entrepreneurs who are more heart-centered who are not the kind of the typical dragon's den work 18 hours a day including on the on holiday type of people and feel much better for that as well that and connecting with broader purpose and values around living considerately and truthfully and a sense of contribution so i really think that's a lot of what you said is going to be very useful for people i did want to ask you about to what degree is the organization's responsibility to ensure resilience and energy throughout their teams and to what degree is it the individuals? But I think that's probably, unless you've got something fairly pithy, that might be something we have to do as part of a follow-up. But Look, there's always a psychological contract between an organisation and an individual. I think for me, as an individual, do not rely on the organisation. Take ownership, you know, for your own well-being. Yes, the organisation, of course, has a responsibility, but at the end of the day, that's within your gift. And what I am noticing, obviously, today, companies are a lot more flexible. They have to be a lot more agile. And as a consequence of that, as an employee, I think you've got more opportunity to really carve out a work and a life quality that works for you. It's not easy. Not easy. Because like you say, we're very conditioned. But if you really, really believe in it, then just take small steps. That's the key for me. Mm, I completely agree. 
Yeah, I think it's a good positive way to leave people. Ben, thank you very much. And I really appreciate your time, your interest, and it's fantastic hearing uh, the choices that you've made as a result of focusing on your purpose. Yeah, thank you. So people can connect with you on Twitter. You are at Ben Renshaw. Your website is benrenshaw.com. Your email address is ben at benrenshaw.com. Is there any other way you'd like people to connect or get in touch with you? No, look, it's just great to be part of the conversation. So I, I'm really happy, you know, to engage. And if people have got questions and examples, stories about purpose, meaning, and how that impacts their lives, it's just great to hear. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Lovely. Thank you, Liam. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on take the test and it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.